The Wise Women's Council is back. We are back this year. We are now accepting enrollments for our class of 2022. One person said, it made me feel seen and less alone. What I didn't expect was just how expansive Wise Women's Council was for me. The people I met, what I learned both about myself and the world, it truly expanded what I thought was possible about working parenthood. Another person said, The Wise Women's Council brings these incredible women together and you form relationships over nine months that approximate the closeness of many years long friendships. You learn things about yourself that you didn't know before. You unlock ways of understanding the world around you outside of where you were before. And here's one more. Another woman said, There is no way to describe what it feels like to be validated. So much of being a woman and more so a mom makes one feel invisible. In this space, I felt seen and heard by really smart, funny, and fearless parents. If you are looking to join a supportive, expansive, brilliant group of women founders, leaders, business owners, and creatives, then check out the Wise Women's Council. We only open once a year for applications to join. Applications this year close March 1st, 2022. You can go to startupparent.com slash WWC, or if you go to our website, look for the Wise Women's Council button right at the top. I hope you join this year. I can't wait to see your application. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Startup Parent Podcast. This is the show where we get to talk to working parents, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and creatives about what it looks like to raise kids and also build companies. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. What is the pandemic doing to our kids? Is the pandemic and living through a pandemic messing up our kiddos, our children? Also, it's not just children. What is it doing to us, the parents? How do we parent through a time like this? I have so many questions that I don't even begin to pretend to have answers to. So I reached out to experts. Today on the show, we have Dr. Courtney Bolton. Dr. Bolton has a PhD in counseling, clinical, and school psychology, and she is a parenting coach. She focuses on research-based evidence-based and proven strategies for development. And she looks at it not just in the laboratory, does it work in the lab? Is there evidence for it? But she also looks at it contextually and ecologically. So yes, we know things work in the lab. Now do they translate and work in the home? She's a mom of four kids and she helps parents make contextual and intentional parenting decisions that work for them and their families. What I love about her approach is that she helps you find the right fit that works for your family. I invited her onto the show to talk about parenting and stress and the pandemic. Namely, I wanted to know how we can help our kids and ourselves as we navigate the unbelievable stress and grief and rage of living through the time we're living through right now. In today's episode, we talk about how to help little ones manage their emotional and mental understanding of all that is changing. And she gives specific tools for how we can talk to our kids across different age groups. We talk about how to help parents deal with all of the stress and life changes that are happening. So you parents listening, how do we deal with all of this and how do we make sense of it because our lives have been upended and everything keeps changing and we're under so much stress. We talk about stress strategies for dealing with the coming months and not calling it a new normal, but really naming what it is and what's happening and what's going on and why specificity of our words matters so much. 
We talk about grief and loss and what's happening across so many of our homes in so many different ways. The loss of income, work, career, meaning, purpose, time. There are so many different losses happening. In addition to the griefs of losing people, we are also grieving the losses seen and unseen that are happening across so many of our life spheres. So how do we talk about it with our kids and how do we make sense of it ourselves? She also is going to share the six P's framework, that's P as in parent, for recentering and adjusting as a parent. And I love the strategy and I was taking notes the whole time while she explained it. And also because we are in a pandemic, she moves in the middle of the interview, she has to move because her four-year-old finds her and chases her. I think it's four-year-old, I'm not sure, but her kiddo finds her and she has to move from, from one room to another. And my kids are also making noise in the background. It's all a part of everything that we are going through. And the name of this song that you're listening to right now is called Better Late Than Never Baby. And I laughed when I saw the title of this song because we recorded this interview in August 2020. That's when I recorded it. And it took me more than six months to get it from recorded to edited to into the podcast queue. And I just, I am just so glad because Better Late Than Never is going to be my motto for a long time. so excited to have Dr. Courtney Bolton on the show. Courtney, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So there are so many things that I want to talk to you about today because there's just, I mean, we're in the middle of COVID-19. It's August when we're recording and parents everywhere are probably ripping the last third of their hair out as we speak because <laughs> it's so stressful. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the work that you do like, and the field that you're in and um, how you got started doing what you do? Sure. So I am a clinical counseling and school psychologist by training, but what I really do started when I was in my postdoctoral work working with parents. So uh, in graduate school, I started parent coaching, and it was something that was just really, really great. I'm trained in family systems as a child clinical psychologist, and so what that basically means was I was seeing children often, um, but usually without their parents. So I would see them in a school setting, or I'd see them in a clinic setting, and when I started working with the parents, I really found that we were seeing tremendous benefit, and all of the research showed that the more we could get parents confident in how they were parenting and what they were doing, we would actually see better benefits at home. But we also saw the parents being less stressed out, the kids being less stressed out, and just better relationships. So my work really focuses on that area in supporting parents, really no matter what age their child is in the journey, um, but to help them support children. How, how long have you been doing this? How long have you been in business doing this? So I have been working in the field of psychology since 2009. Um, I did my master's degree and I was actually in communications before this. And I was really interested in the field of, of social psychology. So prior to 2009, I worked with a lot of how messages help shape behaviors and, and things like that. And then transitioned into the more clinical work in 2009. Mm. And do you do your work uh, virtually in person? What's the format of the type of work that you do? So I usually, traditionally, I would see um, my clients and patients in person. But as mentioned, the last couple of years, there's been a huge shift to teletherapy. So I've actually started 
um, first in a research modality, working with people via teletherapy and have transitioned that into my private practice. So I actually do quite a bit of teletherapy and have for the last couple of years, uh, teleassessment, teletherapy. And then um, now almost all of my coaching obviously is virtual. So it's, it's been a nice transition and nice to have that experience, but also great because I'm able to reach a lot more people that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this is so interesting to me, the parenting coaching, because it's one of those things, like there's so many other parts of life where we will get some sort of training before we do something. And with parenting, I don't that moment when they send you home from a hospital or you already are home, depending on your birth story or how you acquired your child. Uh, but the minute you have one with you, you're like, wait, who approved this? Like, why am I allowed to be a parent? Is, is there a catch? Is there, a, is this like a gotcha moment on television? And then there's no instruction manual. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about this. Like how, like, I, I feel like parenting is such a cluster. I'm not going to swear on the show, but you know, cluster F. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's funny, we, you know, we've moved from a community model where you had a mother and a grandmother or aunts, you had, you know, your kind of village to help you raise your child. And now with parents, your people move across country, they move internationally, and we don't have the same embedded communities. So we're really forced to create our communities, but a lot of people turn online for their community, right? So you have a great community that supports mothers and women, uh, but that's really become, we've become in a lot ways, in some ways in person more disconnected uh, and in other ways online more connected than ever. And so, we find though that there's there's an overabundance of information and there's not really context around that information. And what I mean by that is people are full of advice of things that worked for them or that work in general and they don't necessarily work for us. So uh, one example of that is I will have people come to me and they're so well educated in the space, they've read everything and things just aren't quite working. And usually what'll happen is they've read all of the literature on there, in fact, there's a great book. It's one of my favorites by John Medina called Brain Rules for Baby. And what's beautiful about this book is it's the research that he has done about making or you know helping shape your child to be persistent and have grit is really great. The thing is, if that's not the challenge for your child and your ultimate goal is to not have them go to Harvard, then that may not be the best course of action. And what he encourages is don't praise them directly because they wrap their identity in that, but praise their effort and praise their, you know, their trying and their attempts and their approximations. So I'll have parents come to me and say, so I know I'm not supposed to praise my child. And it's like, sure, if, if, <laughs> if the goal is this and this only, and you don't want a really well-rounded child, then sure, do that. So, you know, there is all of this advice, but we have to determine as parents what's best for us and just having the guidance on, okay, what are what are the things that are evidence-based? You know, what's supported by research to help me with this issue that I'm having or with these goals that I'm setting for my child? And that's really where kind of the parenting coaching comes in is usually people will present with, with a problem or they'll come in and say, you know, here are the goals and values that I have for my family how do I get there? You know, what does that look like for me? Not necessarily for everybody else. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love this so, so much because it touches on something that's so important in the startup parent community. It, like 
the the Amy Poehler line of good for you, not for me. Like there's a yeah. hundred different ways to do things and figuring out like what, okay, what's my little ecosystem and what do I need and what are my goals? And they might vary from kid one to kid two even, right? You might have one kid and be like, I need all the sleep I can get, teach me how to sleep train. And with a second kid, you're like, oh, I just want snuggles. I want to do co-sleeping. And, and depending on your goals for that kid and your relationship in that specific situation, it might be a different path. And it doesn't mean like all good, all bad. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's exactly, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think, so I've got four children and each one of them, their temperament is different. Their like goals and dreams are different. And how we handle each one of them is completely different depending on the child. We have set ground rules and we kind of have set routines, but beyond that in terms of like we have we have family traditions and family rules outside of that though we will handle each child differently according to what they need and and that's absolutely it i mean it's it's what works for you and and your individual child so we i talk about two different things one of them is i everything that i discuss because i'm trained as a psychologist needs to be evidence-based meaning it needs to have research behind it like i don't want to be giving well-meaning but bad advice and i do see a lot of family members, for example, who give well-meaning <laughs> but bad advice yeah. uh, because it can have detrimental repercussions. And then the second thing is it needs to be tailored. It has to be personalized to you, your child, and your family, or it's not going to work. So I can give you all of the evidence-based advice that there is to give, but if it doesn't work for you, you're not going to implement it and it's not going to work. So it's it's kind of a waste of everybody's time to even try to do that. So That's what right. we really do is try to find where that balance is. Oh, that's so important because it's like, it's one thing to say, hey, you should, I'm going to make up an arbitrary example. Like each kid should be in their own room having their own like sleep and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's great. But I live in a one bedroom or I live in a studio, right? And the context matters so much. Absolutely. I worked with um, a mom who was an executive at Google and and she was in a small apartment in New York. And so we were, we had to navigate through those things, right? So her kids shared a bedroom and they were expecting two, they were expecting twins. So they had two on the way. And so the whole goal was to get everybody sleep trained on a similar schedule, but we had to work with what we had, right? So it, it had to work for them and it had to work with, you know, kind of the existing parameters. So then that's exactly right. That's right. That's right. So when my second kid, I remember uh, we, he got pushed towards one nap much sooner. I remember the first kid, it was like the preciousness of sleep. I was like, they're going to have two naps and then it's going to be this. And like, we could design our whole life around them. And with the second kid, as soon as he had, I don't know, it was like 13 or 14 months. I was like, you're on one nap because mom, mom needs, mom needs alone time. Right. Because I need time away from both of you, so you're going to sleep at the same time, and that is a group choice. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he was a little tired, but he's fine. Oh, and my and poor. So, go ahead. Exactly. So what we would do is if, and and that's perfect. And unless it presented a problem, there's no reason to not do that, right? Like as as long as he's getting the sleep that he needs and he's not waking up cranky or upset, then then that works, and that's what works that's right. for your family, and that's great. That's right. I remember, so I'm one of four, so I love that you have four kids. My youngest sister, when I finally figured out, like when I went through the naps thing with my kids, I looked at my mother and I was like, so how did you do this with my youngest sister, Ellen? I was like, so what happened with Ellen? And my mom was like, oh, she didn't get naps she just came with it like her naps were like 20 minutes in the car seat here and like 30 minutes in the stroller there and to this day 
my younger sister can sleep anywhere at, like on the drop of a hat. Just be like, oh, there's Ellen. She can take a nap right now. So it's really fascinating to watch how the context affects what we do as parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. In, in transit, sleeping. That's okay. perfect. So tell me, tell me, I really want to know specifically, um, given that like we're talking right now, we're recording this during the time of COVID. It's August 2020. Uh, our family went into um, stay-at-home shelter-in-place starting around March 12th. So it's been, I can't even do the math, March, April, May, June, July, August. Is that five months? It's been five months of spending there are 168 hours in the week, spending a lot, like almost all of those hours with my children and trying to work. And I am, I will say I'm at a, like, a moderately high stress level. And I imagine that parents out there are also feeling like they're at breaking points. Have you been working with people specifically on how to help both parents and kids deal with COVID and all the stress that's related to it? I have, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. It actually started out I was thinking about this the other day. I we started talking about the new normal. We started using that term really, really early into this. So we also have been in shelter in place since March 11th, 12th, and I think it was April 1st that we started using that buzz phrase, the new normal. Yeah. And of course, the new normal shifts every couple of months or every few weeks, depending on anxiety levels and activity levels, and you know what state you live in, if you're in you know, a, a red state, meaning like a hot zone, yeah. uh, or a, you know, a state that's finally getting everything, flattening the curve and getting everything under control. So I have been spending a lot of time talking about cyclical, like how to expect the unexpected and how children's behaviors can kind of reflect different anxieties at home. Um, and then also looking at how to help parents and families, especially working parents right now, sort of set new routines and, and relieve a little bit of the stress and pressure. Self-care was a huge buzzword before we went into COVID. And I think that parents are really recognizing right now how important that is because we've sort of been put into pressure cookers in a lot of ways where there isn't a lot of time or a lot of place <laughs> in some cases to escape to. So we're really having to be intentional about taking time to sort of reset and reflect and be intentional with our children, but also also with ourselves and, and our time. Uh, so yeah, so we've, we've spent a lot, a lot of time, I think every week for the past five or six months has been, I've had at least a couple of families who are just really focused on how these issues are either exacerbating other issues or creating new ones. So it, it has, it's been kind of a crazy, crazy time. Yeah. I mean, like no one was expecting to spend this much time with their partner. If you have a partner, like you're suddenly like so close to them <laughs> and yeah. we can see each other's parenting styles and we might have different parenting styles, but then we also might have different stress styles. And just to give a little context here. So my, my husband and I, we both work from home. We know how to do that. We actually started our partnership that way. Um, but my husband recently kicked the front door and broke his toe uh, as he was trying to take the recycle down. And that little thing felt like the straw that broke the camel's back. It was like, we were just barely kind of stringing everything together. And now he can't take the kids outside and he can't lift things and he can't do the recycling. And the other day, no joke, people, I'm listening, I'm sure you will feel the same way, or some of you might feel the same way, but the other day I was like, I need to go drive to New Jersey to drop off some food at my friend's house, 
And my husband was like, you're going to drive across New York through, like, across the George Washington Bridge to New Jersey? Why? And I was like, because it's less stressful than being here. And so like, my, I got in a car and drove and I was like, I'm free. I'm independent. There are no children. There's no husband. Like, that was my like, measure of stress that I thought driving through New York City was more peaceful. So yes. what do you recommend or what do you hear in this story that I'm sharing with you? Like, how do you approach this? Because I think stress is so high for everyone. Yeah. So th that resonates so much. I got in the car the other day to do, to just drop off a package. And I have to tell you, I, there was bad m music from the nineties playing. <laughs> but it's so good. It was bad. And I had that yes. same moment where I was like, I don't have a single child with me. I don't have any, this is amazing. So I, I definitely, I'm laughing a little bit as yes. I, as I hear that story. So it definitely resonates with me personally. And then also is very consistent with a lot of the stories that I'm hearing of just having that time. So there are a few things that we talk about. So there's definitely, there are, there's, when you go to the literature on stress, there are a few things that I talk about. And I was calling those like the six Ps um, of kind of areas that we look at. Now I think I've added seven. I can, the more I get into the research, the more I keep adding, uh, just kind of based on previous research and then what's emerging right now. But the other thing that I look at is how do we create consistency and routine and freedom within the day, right? So. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we really need, because the timing is so uncertain with everything, we, like you mentioned, we didn't know that we would be here for this long, uh, and we didn't yeah. know necessarily would still be here. I mean, when we looked at other countries in Europe, it looked like there was an opportunity to get out of being in quarantine or shelter in place much earlier uh, and maybe have like a little bit of a sense of normalcy again, but we're not there yet um, in a lot of different places in this country. And so, you know, here we are and we're now entering a phase where for the most part schools were shut down at the end of the school year. We've had all summer, which has either been a welcome break or majorly anxiety, you know, provoking for those parents who are, have been working through home and had children and haven't had, you know, any sort of help or care. That's right. Now we're moving into another phase, which is the anxiety around returning to school or, you know, trying to figure out what you're going to do for the upcoming school year if you don't have a year round, you know, daycare or anything like that. And that's creating a lot of issues as well. So what I talk to, especially my working parents, but all parents about is how to create security, predictability, and provide some relief and some space in your day. And one of the things that I'm really, really big on for parents, even those parents who aren't typically very scheduled, is creating in general, like block, if you think about like a block schedule in college or in high school, where you know, like from 10 to 12, like I'm going to be working and my husband has the kids or my partner has the kids. And then, you know, from 10, from 12 to one, I'm going to do lunch and naps. And, and it, what it does is it really helps you create some time within your daily routine to have that that predictability which gives your kids a sense of security but also is really great for you and your husband or your partner or whoever you're co-parenting with if you have you know the luxury of being able to do that um, even for my single parents I encourage them to do this as well where you know maybe it's arts and crafts in the morning if they just can kind of help plan out the day to give your their their kids and for younger kids it's really tricky um, but those nap times become more and more critical right because when you put that child down at 10 a.m. or 3 p.m., whenever they take their morning, afternoon, or the one nap a day, 
then you've got a block of hopefully if your child's a good sleeper an hour to a couple of hours where that can be your time whether it's getting work done or just taking 15 minutes for yourself but it does create like freedom in the fact that you have that time and it's really important to leverage that time right now more than ever yes and it also gives you that that you thing to look forward to and the knowing like there's a peacefulness that comes from like okay, I know what's coming next, which I think is like you're mentioning half of the stress of what's going on right now is like, will we go back to school? Will we not go back to school? New York City in the beginning of the summer, they were like, school's gonna be open, school's gonna be open, school's gonna be open on a Friday. And then Sunday, they're like, actually school's closed. That last minute kind, kind of change and shift is so stressful to people. So being able to create that routine, I'm like, right. I'm writing down notes. I was like, I was like consistency, freedom, and routine. I've got it down. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, if you think about it, you need a schedule as much as your child. I mean, your children definitely do, but parents, I think, forget that we need schedules, right? Like we need yeah. to be able to say, okay, tomorrow, you know, at noon, I have this time or this chance to get this. What we tend to do, especially moms, I think, is schedule things during that time. And one mm. of what I really encourage my moms to do is schedule like 30 minutes of that block that you know you're going to get right after your baby goes down to have time. And if, if you've got older kids, great. Then they it's reading time for them. We have something we do here called Drop Everything and Read Day, Dear Day. Mm. Uh, so they have, they'll drop and read and they know it's quiet time when the two youngest are sleeping. So mm-hmm. what I like to do now is take 30 minutes of that time. And it's just 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be a huge amount of time. 15 actually works, um, you know, as far as being able to sort of reset and lower our anxiety levels. But I take 30 minutes and I, and that is time where I literally do not have anything scheduled because one of the things that happens, especially when we're working from home, is that we're thinking through so many things that we actually don't give ourselves time to problem solve. Um, so what happens, like if, if you think about when you're about to nod off and go to sleep or you're in the shower or you're out for a walk, that's typically when we tend to like problem solve. Like, I don't know if you've ever had like a really great idea and you're in the shower or you're about to go to sleep and you're like, why now? You know, and <laughs> always, is, always, right, always. Right. And part of that is because that's actually how our brains are wired to work. So when we're not focused and we're not distracting ourselves, like on our screens or on our phones, um, you know, scrolling through social media and things like that, our brains are actually problem solving on our behalf. And we don't really take enough time right now because we're so wired and connected. Uh, But the other thing that happens is because we're on Zoom calls and calls all day is we are taxing our brains in a way, and I'm sure people have heard the term Zoom fatigue. And there's a lot of research that has emerged on this, but we lose context. So our brains try to fill in the pieces of smell and you know your your posture and all of these clues that we would get if we were in person and so it actually taxes our brains in a different way than we're used to so i know people will get off of phone calls you know and they're just exhausted and it's the same number of meetings that they were taking in person but it's different because it's exhausting our bodies in a different way and so recharging from that is so important and it happens for our kids too So we forget that, you know, at the end of the school year, if they were doing Zoom classes, even the little ones, right, we're sticking them in front of, I I mean, I love Mo Willems and his, like the beautiful stuff that he was doing on Instagram. My kids loved doing like art class with Mo Willems. They thought it was amazing. But I have to remember that even though they're drawing and doing art class with him, after 15 to 30 minutes of that, their brains are taxed in a different way. So for me to expect them then to listen and follow directions, the first time is unrealistic. And so I have to be a little bit more patient with them and with myself. And so 
it's a lot of what we're talking about with parents right now is having a little bit more patience and a little bit more compassion, a lot of self-care, and then also just recognizing some of the developmental issues and concerns that are going on for us, you know, as, as we shift our work uh, and what's happening with our bodies and then also for the kids and what's happening with their bodies and not being able, you know, necessarily to get outside during the school year and things like that. Mm, I want to ask you about some of those developmental issues, but before I do, uh, it occurs to me as you're talking about having these schedules for the parents, not just for the kids, but for ourselves, one of, it's probable that one of the biggest areas of frustration, and I've heard this from a number of parents, is the inconsistency in the partnership. So if you are married to someone and they, or you're partnered with somebody and they don't keep that consistent schedule, it can cause a lot of stress for you. And I know so many women who are navigating like, oh, my partner said they'd watch the kids, but now they have a meeting. And the partner's work schedule is so variable, it causes extra stress. So one of the ways to de-stress in the partnership is to talk to your partner and be like, hey, we have to get on the same page about when, when our blocks are so that we can, you know, <laughs> cling to that sanity with our fingernails. Absolutely. So I have a great friend who does a lot of relationship coaching. She's a, a friend and a colleague. And this was one of the things that she started preaching really, really early on was start these conversations now. You not only have to be having in communication and working out what's happening, but you also have to be consistent and you have to be respectful, right? So if you are saying to your partner last minute, hey, sorry, you know, I had this meeting pop up. What you're really saying is that my career, this work, my time here is more important than, you know, putting this family and you and your schedule and your career or whatever you have going on, you know, ahead of you. So, we, you know, we talk a lot about this, but there has to be some sort of accountability in a family and in a relationship. Now, one of the things you mentioned earlier is that, you know, there are different partner styles, they're there's so much that's going on. What I've noticed is that my husband, I'll sense when he starts to get upset and I will start to, I, it actually takes a lot to get me riled up. Mm. But there was about a week where he was really stressed out from work and it was of course in the house. Um, and so I noticed that I was really starting to carry that for him and I was taking it out on the kids. So mm. I typically don't yell at them or get frustrated with them. And I had to stop and say, whoa, where is this coming from? Like, why, why am I like raising my voice every two minutes when I normally don't, that's not really how I parent. Um, and I really had to kind of take that into account and then and reset and recheck myself, right? And I had to have, a, have to have a conversation with the kids about, I'm sorry for the way that I handled this because that's not normally what happens. And this is why I was feeling that way. Mm. Um, and so just communication across the board as a family, you know, the kids, the kids do get it. They are resilient. One of the beautiful things about, you know, what's happening right now is as you know, families are kind of navigating through this is that there is some research to support the fact that, you know, kids will come out of this. Okay. I know a lot of parents are wondering, have we, you know, made our children more anxious or, you know, what are we doing? Is this, you know, detrimental to them? And, and the thing is, it depends on how the parents sort of frame everything and how they communicate with them. Um, but we do have like smaller case studies from different countries where for various reasons, right? Um, illness or environmental concerns, kids have had to be inside indoors with their parents or, or somewhat isolated as a community. And, you know, yes, in some cases, there were some traumatic things that happened, 
but on the whole, the kids were able to really bounce back and be resilient. And it really depended upon how the parents framed everything for the kids. So if they made it an adventure, and this is unique and a once in a lifetime opportunity, and we all get to be together and soon we'll go back, and you focus on the positive, but you really kind of reframe what's happening for them, then they tend to do really, really well with it as well. So a lot of communication in the house between partners and, and between children. I think the more we communicate, the better. One of the things that I've realized is that, um, not realized, but have seen, I guess, in, yeah. in the literature as well, is that you know kids tend to fill in the gaps with things sometimes that are way scarier than we would even imagine when we withhold information. So you know they start to think about this. I, I remember we took a package off the porch and I was wiping everything down in the beginning and not sure you know what, <laughs> could they touch it or not? And my four-year-old little boy picked up a package and my seven-year-old was like, mom, he touched a package from Corona oh, no. World. And I was like, oh, what have I done? You know, and so we had to sit down and talk about it. But it is like they, she created this whole world outside of our safe space. Our house was the safe space that was Corona World, you know? And so we don't want to let them fill in too many of the blanks. Like we really want to be able to communicate as much as we can and make it as, as innocent and innocuous as possible. Yes, and be clear and straight with them. Oh, I have, I, I'm curious, like, I, are you working with parents to help set expectations for themselves during this time? Like, let's say we, in, in the best of times, maybe aspire to be awesome parents. Uh, and then these are not the best of times. Like, how do you, how do you set expectations for our own behavior? Like you mentioned, uh, you said, I don't usually yell at my kids, but I was yelling at my kids. I mean, I will be really clear with you all and people listening know this there was I walked to the corner of our house and I just screamed at the door because I was so frustrated I was like I just have to get this out and I screamed and my four-year-old kind of looked at me with side eye and was like what is going on with her I was like I feel better now I feel better now but that really had to happen what how do you how do you talk to parents about setting expectations for like maybe we're not our best selves and we're not our best selves for a while and how do we deal so, you know, what's really interesting about a lot of what's going on right now is that is an exist. I mean, it's a question that happens whether we're in the time of COVID or not, right? Mm. So we always want to be better. And it, it seems like often we're not parenting at like a 10, right? We're not a perfect 10 when we're parents ever. Um, we feel better about it in better times often and when we're able to shift resources and things like that. But it's funny because the work never really changes, right? So we always have to give ourselves a little period of grace. And and this is where I talk about being patient and compassionate with ourselves and with our kids. So one of the things we talk about is we're going to have some regressions, right? Like we're going to have challenging behaviors, but our kids are going to have those too. So we, it's really about catching ourselves in that minute and then doing the corrective work that we need to as soon as we can, right? Mm-hmm. So if my kids catch my husband and I, you know, in a frustrated conversation, then what I also want them to see is the resolution. And then I also don't want them to be scared of that. Like I want them to be able to ask, or like you said, if my kids catch me yelling out the back door and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> let it out. Then, yeah. Then I want them to be able, if they do that to say, you know, hey, I I get it, that happens. You saw mom do that the other day and it's frustrating and it's hard. But what I try to do with my kids and what I try to do with myself is say, okay, here are the acceptable ways for me to handle this frustration, right? I can go take a super hard run down the street and I can just kind of run it out. I can 
sit and listen to Calm for 10 minutes, or I can read a book or, or just check out, get, take a bath, whatever it is that like is going to help me disconnect and, and get rid of that like anxiety, that feeling and the tightening in the chest or that frustration. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to give my kids the same option, right? I'm going to give them a menu board and say, hey guys, here are some ways that, that can help you. Breathing is a big thing in our household and quiet time, like just kind of having, finding space for us. It's not mm-hmm. always but we try to carve out a corner if somebody needs that time alone. So, you know, I want to make sure that they know. And so look, sometimes we mess up and we pick an option that's not on the menu, right? And then that's when we just have to say, hey, these are really big feelings. And we talk more about like the emotion. And then we talk a little bit about how we handle that and what we do after the fact when we don't handle it in a way that we're particularly proud of. So, you know, that's, Mm. that's okay. And the best part about it is it's such a teaching opportunity, right? I mean, because when, you know, Usually it happens few and far between. Right now it's happening a lot, right? It, it maybe on a daily basis, maybe on an hourly basis for some people. Mm-hmm. But yes, every time it's an opportunity. And the more, again, consistent we can be with just talking to our kids about how we handled it and not handling it well, our kids are going to start to form a dialogue. Okay, that wasn't handled well, but it's okay because I, I, I'm not bad because I did it, right? And that's the biggest thing that I get into with little people in particular, but all the way up through 18, 19, 20, you know, we start to create these internal dialogues where, oh, I screwed this up. I'm so bad. And the biggest thing is to see, oh, okay, mom did it. It doesn't mean she's bad. Dad did that. It doesn't mean he's bad. It just means he messed up and next time he'll do better. Um, And so, you know, it's definitely, in fact, my son is potty trained and he's had a couple of accidents this summer when he's, you know, he's been in the water swimming and you know, he's had an accident or two. And so we've had, we've had to talk to him and he'll be like, Oh, I'm such a bad boy. I'm not a big boy anymore. And we'll be like, no, it's an accident. Like next time you'll do it. And then next time he goes in the potty and he's like, I did it. Like, I'm not bad. And we're like, no. And, And so then the next time it happened, he had an accident. It was, Oh, I'm not bad. I'll do it next time, mom. You know? And so that's what we want to recreate and reframe these narratives and these dialogues for them and for us. I love that. I mean, I'm writing down notes like, and even if you do something, I'm talking probably about myself, but over and over and over again, like really struggling with something, you can tell your kids, gosh, mom's really struggling with this. She's been angry for a while and she's trying to find out good ways. And this is part of being human. She's not good nor bad. She's just has to yell a lot. (laughs) What will happen in our house? And I know a number of different clients who've had the same thing happen where all of a sudden the kids will see something and then they try to like help you through it too, you know, just kind of like, so my kids will come up and they'll put their hands on my face and my son and my daughter will breathe, breathe, you know, like (laughs) blow the sunflower, you know? And so it is, it's really funny, but they do, they start to pick up on it. The biggest thing is we don't want them. We don't want to not talk about it because it tends like if we're anxious and they, you know, they feel that, which our kids are really intuitive, then they carry that weight for us. Sort of like I was carrying that, that stress of my husband's job that week, you know, they do that for us. And so we really don't want them internalizing the anxiety and the stress without, and and the more we can bring it out into the open and not make it something that we don't talk about, the better off it is for them and for us. You know, it really is reparative for us as well. Oh, I'm exhaling. And yes, my, my son sometimes comes up in my face and he goes, breathe, mom. Yes. 
okay, he's, do you want me to rub your back? Or he'll say, go away. I need alone time. And I'm like, yeah, I've said all of those things. Like I have said all of those things to you and you're parroting them back to me. And this is amazing. So I want to move to asking you about uh, grief and loss and the heartbreak that's also present, not just now, it's present in everyday life because to be a human is to live and to live means that death is part of it. But now, especially, it seems like we're even closer to all sorts of different kinds of grief and losses that are happening. Can you speak to this and how you're helping people with it? Yeah, absolutely. So we process grief and loss in really different ways. And, you know, I know we've, we've talked about this offline, is that there are, there are multiple different types of grief and loss that are happening, right? So there are losses of milestones, meaning there are things like graduations and getting to, you know, graduate from pre-kindergarten to kindergarten or graduating from high school and matriculating to college and trying to figure out what that looks like right now that kids aren't getting, you know, sort of what they've been promised, like work hard and, you know, you're going to get this celebration and that's not really happening. There are losses of birthdays, you know, so those in-person birthday moments that a lot of our little ones, you know, especially those like tweens plan the whole year. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but the day after my kids have a birthday, they are like next year. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We just <laughs> got through right. this right. like, hold on. All right. so I'm like, all right, you've got 364 days to plan it. Um, but they're losing those, right? They're, they're not having that opportunity. For some of us parents, like that's, it's as detrimental or it's not as detrimental. It's as devastating to us as it is to them, right? Like we, those moments are huge moments, you know, like whether it's, going to karate and getting the belt or having a dance recital or the big soccer game. So there are little losses like that, that we kind of have to help them navigate through. And one of the things that I talk a lot about, you know, to parents is how do you create those moments? How do you make them special? How do you memorialize them for them in this kind of weird time where they get to look back and be like, Hey mom, do you remember that weird year that we, you know, got to do this really cool thing where we, you know, where you did like the soccer trophy and the soccer cake and all of that for us. And so, you know, we just look at trying to figure out how we make things special in a different way during this time. Mm. Um, And then the other component is dealing with real loss and real grief in terms of death, right? And, And how we help our children process death and how we do it well, we're experiencing our own grief and loss, right? So if we lose a parent uh, and our children lose a grandparent, then that is that can be really, really detrimental, but we have to navigate that while navigating our own grief. And so that is one right now, given the numbers and the losses and especially losses among grandparents that is really challenging. And the biggest thing is to remember, we do have to do it in a developmentally appropriate way. So children aren't going to process loss and permanence in the same way that we are. So younger kids are very, very black and white. So we have to really watch the language that we use when we're talking to them. We have to think about things like if we say she died in her sleep, then we have to expect that they may be really nervous to go to sleep that night. They have to understand the context about it. In the same breath, we want to make sure that we're not scaring them about what's going on in the world, right? So the fact that if they go someplace without their mask or if they go out in public or if they accidentally shake a hand 
that they, not that they would necessarily be in, in a place to do that, but kids forget, right? They run up and hug people. And, you know, so it's a lot of navigating that. So we don't want them petrified of doing that later on. So we really want to give as many facts as we possibly can, but we also want to keep things really simple. And we want to be able to answer questions when we can answer them. And it's okay when we say, you know, to say, I don't know. So a lot of people may come at this from like a faith-based perspective. And again, we want to be like really give as much context as we possibly can um, versus just saying, oh, she's in the sky, <laughs> you know, or she, you know, what, what are the heaven, you know, if, if there hadn't been a conversation about that before, then it can be really hard for them to wrap their head around what does it mean that grandma's in heaven or what does it mean that grandpa, you know, he's, he's with us all the time. You know, we, there are these things that we say to make people feel better that can be really confusing for our kids. And so it's just kind of making sure that we're prepared have an explanation and sort of thinking through how they might process that. Ooh, do you have a book or, or phrases that you really love? Or is it just so contextual based on everyone's faith and beliefs? Like what do you usually recommend? So there is, there is a book that I really, really like called the invisible string. Um, And it really talks a little bit more. So I, I use it a lot when pets pass away, but I think it's really good for people losing people as well. Um, And what it basically means is there's a string that connects us all and we're all kind of in each other's hearts and in each other's lives. But I think it does a really nice job of showing how we're connected, even though we don't see the string. And so it makes it very concrete for younger kids without making it sort of scary or raising a lot of questions. I think it does a really nice job. Hi. You know, it's so interesting because like, we've had some of those conversations with my older son who's four, uh, you know, like we'll get cut flowers and then the flowers will die and we'll throw them away. And we talk about how everything goes into the ground and um, our, our conversation around death tends to be like, you're going to turn into a tree is the shorthand, but yeah. like, <laughs> well, we put you in the earth. And he was really concerned about, you know, like worms and everything eating his body. And we did have a long conversation about this. But your point about the word, how the words we use matter, I will tell you a teeny story. Um, a couple of days ago, we have a bunch of Brio trains and I told my son, I was like, we're gonna get a lot more trains. I'm getting more trains. We're gonna get more trains. And in my, I meant tracks. Like I meant we were gonna get more tracks. Yes. And we got like a hundred, I got a hundred piece set of tracks and they showed up and my kid was like, where are the trains? Where are all the trains? <laughs> where are all the trains? You said we were getting more trains. And I was like, Oh, you're so right. Like I had communicated something, what I thought was clear. And he was so right. Like he was right on this. And I was like, mm, the trains are still in the mail. They're not here yet. <laughs> I had to go buy some trains because I forgot to get trains. Um, so yeah, the specificity of what you're saying, like, oh, they disappeared in their sleep. Like what? That's terrifying. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. so there are these, and we can't, like overly think everything, right? And this is where, you know, you were saying, are there, are there phrases that, one thing I will say is that parents need to give themselves a lot of credit. For the most part, you know your child, you know how best to communicate to your child. And it's just kind of being aware. The other thing is, you know, in in this time, I've talked to a lot of parents who they haven't been able to have a ceremony like they've wanted to have. And so there hasn't been a way to properly say goodbye. And that's been a really big issue. (laughs) I can hear in the background. Are you yes, moving I, rooms? I am moving. I'm, I am being chased by a small child. So talk about partners not letting, not letting uh, you have have 
the time. This is this is the time. My husband has my children and I have my four-year-old is chasing me room to room right now. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, that happens to us and we can we can end right now if we need to um because right at the top of the hour, my husband there's one day when my husband and I have meetings back to back. So at like 55 minutes, I will like switch to my phone and then I walk and I go hide in the bathroom. Yeah. Um right at two o'clock and then he comes into the bedroom to use the big and like it's this whole thing. And all of my clients now who are on this call with me, they always call it the Blair Witch Project moment because I'm like, like taking a dark phone into a bathroom, like sneaking past a nap time, sleeping, and they're like, "What is this? The Blair Witch Project?" But it, it this is weird. This is the world that we're living in. So we didn't get into the six P's, and I really want to ask you about those. Do you have time to cover those for us? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's go through it. Yes. So for the seven P's. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, so it's funny. One of the things that I t used to talk to parents a lot about was self-care. And my mom's in particular that I worked with always felt like it was self-indulgent or they were all about self-care and it really was self-indulgent, right? Like it was, it became sort of a way to sort of get out of a situation. It really became more about not being present in the moment. So when I talk about self-care, I really talk about it in service of your goals and your family and, and how it helps you get to the next level. So if it's one of the things where you're in, engaging in self-care and you're not feeling better about your stress levels and things like that, then I really encourage my parents to examine what and how they're looking at self-care. So what I came up with based on the research that I have done um, over the last several years is six areas to explore and to kind of help us effectively manage stress. And so, um, very quickly, it's purpose, passion, pleasure, power, people, and perspective, right? So very, to give kind of a really quick overview. So purpose is what we're in control of. And I think that this is one of those things um, that we really need to talk about and, and changing purpose, right? So given this time with COVID, some people felt like their purpose was getting up and it was happening at work or when they were out of the house, you know, taking meals to people or doing different activities that they haven't been able to do. And so I really encourage them right now to consider how has your purpose shifted, right? How is that you know, changed given the time and sort of reevaluate finding an area that brings meaning to your life and that's really what we're, what we're talking about, what we're thinking about. Uh, the, the second thing is passion. And that's one of the areas that I've really tapped into since March when we've had, kind of had to lock down is, you know, what am I passionate about that I can do here that's maybe a hobby that, you know, would have been like travel or something that has kind of been taken away uh, that I can implement. And one of it now, one of the things now that we're really doing is just being outside and kind of having these like micro times like in our own backyard or neighborhood or, you know, kind of areas where we can go hiking and things like that. Um, so finding that and passion really speaks to the hobby, right? So these long-term things, so it can be knitting or crossword puzzles. I mean, it doesn't even have to be being outside, but it's, it's kind of finding and retapping. Uh, my husband and his brother love like putting together model cars. Like that was a thing that they did when they were little. And so they have kind of been back and forth on that. And it's been really fun to watch them kind of relive childhood a little bit through that. Um, but that's a passion. And then a pleasure is very different. It's fleeting, right? So these are things like sex, chocolate, a good nap, <laughs> a hot bath, you know, whatever, good food, like whatever floats your boat. That's just kind of that tiny hit of serotonin, right? That little like immediate, like fleeting, it doesn't have to be long lasting, like a passion. It just, it has to just provide pleasure for like 60 seconds. Right. Um, and then looking at things like power. So power 
is really important. This is the area that we are completely taken. I mean, for a lot of us, we are powerless over what's happening in our government, what's happening in the way our communities are responding to COVID for better or worse. Um, you know, we are powerless about whether or not our schools are going to go back in person or not. We're powerless about those decisions in a lot of ways. And so the idea is, like you said, not to focus on necessarily whether or not New York schools are going back tomorrow, but what do we have control over? And so that this is an area that we are really focused on right now is I can take control over my house, I can take control over my schedule, and I can take control over what happens if they don't go back or, or what, you know, how I choose to respond to that. So it's really important to start thinking about the things that are within our control and sort of controlling our environment a little bit more for that security. Um, the other one is people, and this is a really tough one right now as well, because belonging is such a huge, important part of our sense of identity. And we're social learners, we're social beings, we are engineered as humans to be in community with one another and so this is where you know using phone time and screens and talking to people and reaching out and not just using things like instagram or facebook but really having dialogue and conversations with one another is more critical now than ever because we're not in community like we normally are yeah. um, and then finally perspective and how we're framing things and you know we talked a little bit about this like shifting narratives for ourselves and creating really positive inner monologues is really, really important. So there's a, a type of therapy called narrative therapy that only focuses on how we reframe and how we start to think about negative thoughts that come in and how we kind of poke holes in those negative thoughts, right? So the, I'm a terrible mother or like, I cannot handle this. And then we start to look at those moments through the day where it's like, nope, you know what? I got up, I made breakfast. I was able to do this. I was able to do that. And it wasn't perfect, but I did it. So I am able to handle this. And so we just start to think about how we handle our perspective. But when we kind of get a hold of, and we look at all six of these areas, it's really, it, these are the areas that sort of help us reduce our cortisol levels, that help us increase some of those like more positive feelings. Um, and if we're able you know, to kind of think through like, oh, okay, so I know what my purpose is. I'm really, really clear on that. But power, like being out of control is really hard for me. Then that, what that does is gives us a doorway. It gives us kind of a place to start with self-care, right? And starting to think through those and just kind of taking the time to be able to do that. Mm. Wow. And what was the seventh, the working seventh one? Just because I'm a completionist and I like to know. Yeah. So the seventh one is actually is, is parenting and parenting with confidence. Oh, and so yeah. one that I only use for parents, obviously, but the thing about it is what we know from the research is that if you are more confident as a parent, and this is where my whole line of work comes from, if you're confident in what you're implementing and that it's going to work for you and you're willing to troubleshoot, then you're actually going to have better outcomes in your house. You're going to have a calmer household. You're going to know because if you have, if you think about it, sometimes we get stuck in these ruts and we're in a cycle where we're yelling, the kids are crying or they're yelling back at us or they're frustrated and they're shutting down or we're shutting down and we don't know how to get out of that cycle. And sometimes it just helps to have an outside eye or ear to say, this is what's going on what do I do? And to help you sort of troubleshoot through that. And then, you know, that helps sort of reset the, the relationship and the dynamic and, and sort of look for pulling out some of the positives. So a lot of what I do is, is positive and strengths oriented um, instead of punitive and, and taking things away. And so what's nice about that is as soon as parents feel confident in implementing things and that they're implementing them correctly, then 
the whole vibe of the house actually shifts around that. And so um, that's the seventh factor is, is being mm -hmm. able to do that with confidence. Now I just want to have like an hour long philosophical conversation with you about so many different things because I, like it, the ability to identify each of these gives us such a clear roadmap. And it, to me, it's always astonishing how like once you know how something is working, so much can change. Like once you see what the dynamic is and you're like, oh, I like am rage yelling at my children at 3 p.m. every day because I feel powerless, right? Because I, or because I, I don't have predictability over when my schedule is going to be, or, and you can start to understand the dynamic. You, it, it becomes so much easier to identify what it is, what the thing is that you need to do or the way that you can start to address this and be like, okay, I'm going to have my rage dose at 3 p.m. every day, but it can be really like ameliorated if I do some pleasure activities. Like it feels really good to rub lotion on my skin. My husband will rub my shoulders because he knows I, I need to take like 30 minutes of downtime every nap time. Like I need to have some unscheduled stuff. And then like mom's rage outbreak is only 15 minutes. It's not for the rest of the day. And that is something I can manage or I can tolerate. Absolutely. Well, and I love that you were saying like, you know, at three o'clock. So we do have those moments, right? Where it's like, I am great until just after lunch. And then by that point, I'm exhausted. And so I need this. And so that's another thing is just sitting down and sketching out. So I, this is another reason that I'm huge on routines is we can look at that whole day and look at the morning. And if there's time that we can find for a break in between that might help prevent that, you know, three o'clock burnout or, you know, at 2.45, that's when we hand the keys over to our, our partner and let them drive for that, you know, for that next hour or so. And so it definitely, and, and, you know, the other thing that you mentioned um, in terms that, you know, remind me in terms of like the philosophical conversation is we forget too, like we are each other's emotional supports, but we also can very easily and very quickly become each other's emotional punching bags. So yeah. if, you know, something is going on that's frustrating at work or in the home, you know, we can turn around and, and put that, right, it's called transference, we, we put it on our partners, and that's not fair, and, and so we're taking on, you know, more than we really, you know, should have to take on, that we could really just kind of diffuse before we even get there, so part of that communication that we talked about with, between the partners, not just in terms of, like, scheduling time, but also having that conversation around, hey, I really need this this week, I really need you to be like my emotional support and in these ways. And especially if we have, you know, a, a husband or a spouse that, you know, needs it outlined, like we need to be able to ask for the things that we need. We can't, you know, anticipate that they are going to be mind readers. So this is a time more now than ever that we say, you know, we give really specific things. I mean, just like we would, again, with our children, set really specific expectations. Hey, mommy really needs this from you guys this week. I really need you to listen and follow directions the first time. I need you to, you know, make your bed every day, whatever it is, it can be, yeah. but giving them one to two things that would really help you. And so we create buzzwords in our house. Listen and follow directions is, is sort of a buzz phrase that we have, that we use. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, Ours is, use, are you using your listening ears? Listening ears exactly, <laughs> right? gentle hand. I mean, there are all of these different things and we define what that looks like and then we make sure that they're implementing that. Mm. That's so helpful. You know, for people listening, um, longtime listeners know that we're such huge fans of therapy in our household. I go to Therapy Weekly. My husband goes to Therapy Weekly. And we've recently started having the conversation 
should we go to couples therapy? And like, we're such fans because anytime you can have somebody look at your brain or look at your patterns or just, just sit there with you and be like, Hey, what's going on? It is, it is such a gift. It's such a privilege. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, you know what, this is one of the most stressful times. And the last thing we would want to do is start to implement like negative patterns where we really are taking things out on each other. And then we end up in this place four years from now where we're like, why, like, why did this happen? Like, why are we this way? So we're going to start couples therapy. And I'm actually really looking forward to it because I I never get a chance. I don't get to see him. Like we're constantly swapping throughout the day. It's like we're ships passing in the night, but uh, like the hardest part is going to be carving out the hour when we can both be on the same call together. (laughs) Yes. But that is such a great thing to do to like, go ahead and, and set that and set that. Absolutely. I mean, and I agree, having somebody that can sort of help you navigate, like, you know, and recognize, like, when there are patterns. I mean, I think a lot comes out in therapy that people sort of bury, and, uh, like, unintentionally. Right. Like, no, everything's fine. Like, we're good. And you might be good, but then there might be just little bitty things. We talk about grains of sand, you know? Yes. And can either be really irritating or turn into pearls. And so it's one of those things where you don't want to ignore the little grain of sand, right? If you cultivate it, it becomes a pearl. And if you let it ride, then it can chafe. And so it's definitely a good, a good thing to start thinking about, you know, just those dynamics. Oh, this is so helpful. I, I like, I'm going to listen back to this and, and I have like hundreds of ideas and notes that are coming down off my pages. Um, I love how you broke out purpose, passion, pleasure, pa- like all the different pieces of it, because it's so true. Like there, I, you know, I, I was writing down my own list while you were talking about all of these, like what gives us meaning right now? And if we've lost that, there's some grief and mourning attached to that. And like, how do we find new senses of meaning? But then the passions I wrote down cooking, singing, dance parties, weightlifting, and one-on-one time with people in my own list. Um, you know, like, like I'm, I, I became like freaking Julia child over here. I'm cooking like crazy. And I think it's also because it's a realm, it's an area of control. Like I get to control it. There's like pleasure in the chopping. There's pleasure in eating. Like it satisfies that like maybe oral fixation that I've got going on right now. <laughs> There's just, oh, this is great. Uh, do you have a blog post or a link that I can send people if they're listening, like while they're driving or with their kids and they're like, what'd she say? Like, where do I find this? Yeah. So I know I did an Instagram live video on these uh, and it's, but it's very, very quick. So it's not much more, but I do have a blog post that I, if I, if it's not up, I will put it on up on my blog um, okay. and it's just at my website and it's drcourtneybolton.com and I think it's backslash blog or news. And so um, I will, I'll get that to you though and definitely share that with you so that there's a little I'll bit more in the show notes. Yeah. Great. Amazing. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that we, that I didn't ask you or that, uh, this was so comprehensive and thank you for taking the extra time and switching rooms and all of the things. Anything else I should have asked you? I don't think so. I think that that, I mean, for the most part, we covered a lot. Um, and, but really, I mean, just to reiterate, it's, it's just kind of having that time and that moment and, and being more compassionate with ourselves during this kind of crazy period. So oh, it's intense, everyone. It's yeah. intense. We're right there with you. I would be, I would be writing more blog posts and recording more podcast episodes if I had more childcare. <laughs> so we're all right there in the thick of it. I'm thinking of everyone. Thanks, Courtney, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much.
If you want to learn more about Dr. Courtney Bolton, you can find her at Dr. Courtney Bolton on Instagram, and her website is drcourtneybolton.com. Both of those links will be available in our show notes. You can go to startupparent.com slash podcast to get all of our episodes and all of our show notes, or you can go to startupparent.com slash the number of the episode to get the specific show notes for each episode. If you want to subscribe to our newsletter, we send out a weekly newsletter. You can subscribe at startupparent.com slash newsletter. We have mini books for parents at startupparent.com slash mini books. And you can get additional private episodes of this podcast available only for our Patreon backers when you back us on Patreon. Go to startupparent.com slash Patreon to become a backer of the podcast and get access to exclusive episodes with me and other guests on our private podcast. Most of all, I hope you're hanging in there. This is a tough season and a tough time of life. And the pandemic is really, really hard for so many people, even harder than I could probably even imagine. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take what you need, whether that's time or rest. I hope you get plenty of rest and I will see you on the next episode. Episode.